I'd like to go to Titus again today, if you'll turn with me to Titus chapter 1, please, in the scripture. And uh, Paul... was responsible on three missionary journeys for starting churches, for getting this message out, and then as a response to that, as people came to know Christ as Savior, to have them established in local churches. Paul had two assistants, uh, more than that, but two in particular come to mind because they are mentioned in the New Testament, we have Timothy, First and Second Timothy, give Timothy instructions from the Apostle Paul, and indeed instructions for all of us as Christians. And we have here, as we have turned to Titus 1, Titus himself, a fellow who was a right-hand man to Paul. Uh, the early churches were not all established yet. And Paul in chapter 1 is giving direction to uh, the church at Crete, uh, how it is supposed to be run. And we'll, we'll read through this chapter and we'll pick it up from there. Titus chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, my own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou should set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, 
for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn away from the truth. Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, is nothing pure, but even their mind and consciousness is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you might bless our time together here. Lord, may your word be alive and uh, reaching to the very center of our being. May our love, our conviction, our zeal for you grow because of our understanding today. In Jesus' name, amen. God has appointed that Christians get together and be part of local churches. I'm glad to see you folks here today. Uh, Many folks believe that the day of the church has changed and we need to have something that is different than the local church if we're going to be successful as Christians. May I say that God did not establish Christianity to be conveyed through the nightclub experience. We're called disciples, which at the center means that we are students, learners. We want to learn more about Jesus. We want to learn more about God the Father, God the Spirit. We want to learn what God has revealed to us in his word. Learning means that we are students, we are disciples, and the place where this training is to be undertaken consistently Week by week is the local church. I see the best image of a local church would be of a school. Not to say that, you know, everything is identical to the schools as we know them today, but this is our mandate. We are not here necessarily to feel good all the time. I like to laugh. I think it's okay to laugh in school sometimes, too. I think it's good for us to be convicted with the truth as God speaks to us. We gather to listen, to understand, and to implement into our lives what he has revealed to us in his word. And so Paul is writing with this mandate to accomplish this task effectively with Titus located there in Crete and fulfilling the mandates that we have noticed. 
Specifically, then we zero in on Titus, and we notice that he is... um, He was left in Crete. Paul had been there, had moved on, left him behind. And verse 5 tells us that he should set an order. He should, he should make the arrangements, the things that were, were not completed, that needed to be done. Now again, this was not an established church yet. But we're going to notice that he was to appoint elders for the local assembly. But but typically, as we understand it, we don't have apostles or associates of apostles as Titus was, as Timothy also functioned. But we today have local churches that are called to um, call individuals to, to bring an individual in or individuals. There's room for more than one pastor in a local church. Amen. The word elder frequently is plural, but that does not mean that a church is simply a committee of people. Usually there is a chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, and there is a key under-shepherd, one of the group that would be the senior pastor, and there can be assistants and associates to help complete that task. And so in this context, this is what Titus had to do. And we have all kinds of standards, credentials, things that are to be developed in the life of a pastor, demonstrated through that development as he is considered to function, whether he is competent to function in the role of shepherd By the way, there are various terms used to describe pastors. We have the word elder. Some people have taught, and we're not having a great crusade in this regard, but that uh, elders has ruling and teaching elders, and and, uh, that, that this means that we have people that are elders who aren't necessarily pastors. But in the context that Paul has here in Titus chapter 1, we see that we have elders used and they are to have certain qualities demonstrated in their lives. And we know from Acts chapter 20 that when Paul was speaking to the elders from the church in Ephesus, he was instructing them. And in the context there, the word elder appears. The second word that appears is overseer. Elder is the uh, one key term. The second key term then is overseer. That's episkopos. And also shepherd is the third word. We would get the word or we understand that to be the pastor is a shepherd. We have different terms that are used, but we believe they all relate to the same office. And that this office is to be Functioning until Jesus comes. I appreciate you folks as you are looking for an individual to accomplish this. I've been blessed to have been in three distinct churches. Two as assistant and one as a senior pastor for 34 years. And it has been a good experience in my life. I am grateful for it. 
But the job then is to accomplish uh, what Paul has given, and Paul is very specific as he is writing to Tyrus, and he indicates uh, 17 qualities that elders, shepherds, overseers, or bishops ought to be displaying in their lives before they are called to this office. As I mentioned a moment ago, let me just um, put this one and finish this off. Uh, We don't have apostles anymore, and we don't have their associates like Titus, and so one individual does not appoint a person to be a pastor of a local church. God calls individuals, and the church extends a call or extends an invitation for an individual to be considered and then perhaps to become the pastor through decision made by the church itself. And usually that's accomplished through a church vote. All of that is a backdrop to what we are seeing regarding individuals in this category. We are told in verse 6, if any be blameless. Uh, The idea there, blameless, is the concept of above reproach. There's nothing defective in his life in a profound way that, that could be brought up later and discredit the cause of Christ. Uh, we, we perceive again that there are things that people do that are clearly unsound, unwholesome. A fellow that murdered his wife typically would not be qualified to be a pastor. A person who has a reputation for being dishonest and didn't pay his bills obviously probably should not be considered for the calling of the church or in the church. Now, don't get me wrong. Nobody is perfect, amen? Pastor and his wife had a disagreement. Any of you ever have a disagreement with your spouse? You're not qualified because you had a disagreement. We work out our disagreements, amen? There's a stability. We don't walk out. We don't quit. We don't throw in the towel. We have made our, our, our decision, and we are going to live by this decision. No perfect pastors. And I can assure you that I am not in the category of perfection. And if you any, have any doubts, talk to my wife. She's the best qualified to tell you of that. I'm thankful for my wife. But more we have here to see. And so this quality is one that is evidenced or to be evidenced. It actually comes into focus again a little bit later, but uh, we also are told that he is to be the husband, notice with me in verse 6, of one wife. Literally in the Greek, it's a one wife or a one woman type of husband type of man. The idea is, obviously, he's not supposed to be... uh, There's a way that I can best express this. I um, 
we'll just take a moment here to uh, neither a polyga- neither a polygamist nor guilty of promiscuity. Obviously, a one-wife type of a person. He is uh, not a flirt. The goal is not to have a Casanova to be the pastor. A guy who gives all the girls goosebumps. That's not what God calls into his service. And obviously not someone who is a polygamist. That's so obtuse we don't need to develop that at all. Not one who is married to a few women. I believe pastors probably should not have been married before going through a divorce. I have struggled a little bit. It's not a struggle, but I have seen that a person got saved and when he got saved, his wife, he was unsaved, his wife left him. And we know from Corinthians, if the unbeliever depart, let him or her depart. And some have suggested that in that context, it might be okay for a pastor to function or a person to be called. I'm concerned about that, but as I said, I have more of a, a tenderness to that, especially Schofield. Maybe you use the Schofield Reference Bible. Uh, uh, his first name just jumps out of my head here for a minute. I'm getting old and my name sometimes slip. But the Schofield Reference Bible was very popular in years past. There was a new Schofield Reference Bible that came up with updates um, to the notes that were there. But Schofield had been a pastor. He had been with Dwight L. Moody uh, right down the road in Massachusetts off of 91. You got Northfield and um, that's where Moody had been, and I understand that um, at Camp Northfield years ago, I, as a pastor of the church, had been on the board of Camp Northfield. This was before the Wilds got here to New England. I love the Wilds. My wife had worked at the Wilds in North Carolina the second year it was open. Boy, that was a long time ago. Um, so grateful for Christian camp, but at, at, at Camp Northfield, um, um, there, there are old cabins, and as I understand it, uh, it's been a while since I have been there, but as I understand it, there's a, there is a cabin there that has Schofield's name in it. He did some of his work on the Schofield Reference Bible in that area of the country, which is our area of the country. I wonder if it's as cold down in Northfield, Mass, as it is here in Piermont or Wentworth, New Hampshire. But the idea here is that he, the individual of Schofield, was a pastor, not a Baptist or a Bible church pastor. I think he uh, won't get into that again, but uh, that had been his experience and his um, wife and he had divorced and he had gotten saved, as I understand it. And God had used him. I'm not here to throw stones at Schofield. It's unusual for that kind of thing. I think a person who hasn't worked out his problems as a Christian with his wife, who's a Christian, is 
certainly not qualified to be a pastor of a local church. But these are standards that God has given. By the way, I'm grateful for folks who've gone through difficult problems and things didn't happen right and whatever, but I'm glad that you are worshiping the Lord and a student of the Lord in the local church. There may be something that the credentials aren't there, but I'm glad that we can function in some capacity together as a family. So it's not here to put everybody down every chance we can. There is a place. There are places for all of God's people. The third standard that we have here in this uh, presentation relates to his family. A pastor is to have children who believe. He is to be kind of a person who is... uh, both a disciplinarian and a positive spiritual influence on his kids. All of Pastor's kids are perfect. You know that, don't you? (laughs) My kids ran through the hallway sometimes. And I didn't lose too much sleep over it. After they were young and... And see, like kids are, that's not a major issue. By the way, again, I, I've known and I say again, if, if children, I'm, I'm grateful all of my kids are now married. The last one got married just a few months ago. But all of my kids are married and they married Christian fellows. I've got all girls, four of them. I believe after a child has left home and if there's some change in that life, a pastor is not incriminated with that. Uh, the child is now on his own. I think it's a sad thing in every sense of the word. But while he is under his leadership, he is leading his home in the Lord. He is a spiritual influence. He is, he is overseeing and caring for the flock of his family, as it's known. The pastor is to be, fourthly, in this whole uh, regard here, um, not self-willed. Notice with me, if you will, um, um, for a bishop must be blameless, that's the same word that we had earlier in verse 6, as steward... Uh, of God, servant of God, a manager, we might say, of God. He he's, um, has a role in the church to care for it, to, to preach the word, to lead the church. And then we have not self-willed in verse 7. The concept is, in our language today, overbearing. An individual that is is just... Unkind, you know, it's just a dictator. That's, that's not the point that is made. That's not the ideal. The negatives will end soon, folks. Verse 7 goes on. Not soon angry. Not quick to anger. There's room for anger. We see this come up over and over again in the book of Proverbs. That uh, 
Anger is not a godly attribute when it's quick, when it happens all the time. Now, there is room for anger. Clearly, we're told in the New Testament, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. There are times we're supposed to be angry. But they aren't quick angry incidents. But there are things that come upon that we are very much concerned about. And there's an intensity to us. But it's not an anger that persists. It, it's dealt with. The problem is dealt with. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let it you know, go on for the next six weeks. Hopefully it's resolved. I don't have any kids left. But I've got some dogs. Got a young German shepherd dog who is learning the ropes still. I learned a long time ago with German shepherds, you've got to be vigorous with them to control them. They're powerful. And my dog has figured out when I'm angry. I deliberately have a little change of voice. And when I use this change of voice, uh-oh, all of a sudden, I'm in trouble. I can see it in his face. And I lecture him. He doesn't understand half of it. But I try to show him, don't you dare chew that piece of wood. He chewed a, we have an outside stairway. It's not a, they just nibbled on the side of one of the stairs. I pointed it to him and felt like it was a big shot and said, no. And I think he understands. Time will tell the tale. But not quick to anger is the point here. We're not known to be angry all the time. Not even most of the time. And when it is evident, the problem is dealt with and We get on from that. We don't continue to demonstrate that quality. He is to be an individual who is not given to wine, certainly not addicted to wine. In our culture, I think it's good that we be total abstainers. I commend that. Certainly, for those in Europe, they tend to have more of wine and so forth. I'm not here to tell European Christians that, you know, how they have to live in this regard. I just think with all the options we have, we don't need it today. But we don't want to be addicted to anything that's going to change our behavior unwholesomely. Anything that can take us down. Uh, the, The concept here also is that we not be violent in verse um, uh, uh, seven, we have the word striker. We don't use this too much, but not, not violent as a people. Um, is it, something that is, it's been translated also as pugnacious, looking for a fight all the time. That's not what a pastor or Christians ought to be like as we live. We're not, we're not always with an edge to us, looking to cut somebody, to, to get into a disagreement all the time with everybody. Uh, not 
pursuing um, shameful gain, dishonest gain. It's the idea of shame and gain, not of that sort. We, we aren't looking to pull a fast one. We're not looking to get ahead by some questionable activity. Again, something that is very common in our culture today. He is to be a lover. Philos is the word in the Greek. Senos, which is the word stranger, a lover of strangers. How do we put that in our English language now? He's hospitable. Hospitable. Enjoys being with people. Likes to be around people. That's a quality. It's, he, he's not known to be so consumed with study that he doesn't have time, except in his official duty, to, to, to uh, communicate with people, to associate with them. And we're going to get through this quickly now. He needs to be one who loves good. And again, we come to our verse here, um, uh, a lover of good men. Not just men, but just loves good things, wholesome things. He, he, he loves people, yes, and good men, good, good folk. Um, uh, this is what he's enjoying. He's not looking to, to get the latest scuttlebutt. The latest rumor and, you know, to be a rumor monger. None of that kind of thing. He is to be self-control, or rather, no, he's supposed to be righteous or upright as we understand that. I think that's pretty well self-explanatory. And then he's to be self-controlled. Not angry, quick, and long. But also, he has strength within. He can hold stuff within him. He's not explosive. Self-controlled. He can restrain himself from feelings and desires that come. That's the concept that flows out of that word self-controlled, ekkrates. That's in and strength. He has an inner strength, self-control. He's to be holy. Obviously, he needs to be a saved man. Walking with the Lord. We would perceive to be holy means that we're spending time communicating with the Lord in prayer, in the word, for a pastor in study. He is to be uh, disciplined or temperate. Again, it's related to this idea that we self-control. He is he's not off the charts and pursuing vain things. He's not looking to get high all the time or anything of that sort, but temperate, disciplined in his qualities of life. 
Now we're up to number 15 if you've been writing them down, but he is to hold firmly the trustworthy message as it has been taught. And the word was not yet written. This Paul wrote to Titus, and it's part of the canon of Scripture. But he has to be uh, faithful in, uh, to hold closely to him, dearly. Again, the game of football comes to my mind. I was delighted that San Francisco didn't win the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, football player has to hold this piece of leather. The opposite team is not only looking to get him to touch the ground and be down, but in the process of going down, they want that ball to pop up. A good football player not only catches the ball, but holds it until at least his knee hits the ground. Or else it's classified as a fumble, and it could adversely affect the results of the game. Holding firmly to this, the word as we have it today in the first century, to that which had been taught. Hold tightly what the apostles had expressed, what Jesus had taught. Don't let it go. Don't slice it in the wrong way. Cut it straight. Preacher, a pastor. Actually, this is a bit implemented here, but so that we might say he can be able to exhort in sound doctrine, healthy teaching, he's to exhort those who are following Christ, but also he is to be the kind of a person who can refute those who contradict, who oppose the truth. He's able to refute them. He can push back. He can get into that discussion and can show them the error of their thinking. He's a hateful person looking to just prove he's smarter than everybody. None of that stuff, but he loves this word so much that he is standing upon it and he can give an answer to those who are looking to distort what it has to say. It's been expressed by commentators. One has said, a capable handler of the truth. Qualities for a pastor. Again, not a perfect individual. No one is. I've even said something on occasion that was absolutely wrong, and I didn't realize it was wrong until after the sermon. Just misstated a fact. Boy, that's a painful feeling for me. I hate that feeling. How could I be so stupid? I just said it wrong. I, I, it didn't come out right. And uh, I'm I, grateful that there was no insurrection. Yeah, Pastor, you're right. That wasn't right. But this standard is actually, again, as we look to the standards for pastors, and we have in Timothy standards for pastors again, as well as for deacons. 
It's interesting that the credentials are the same just about for both offices, except uh, there's one key difference that I see, and that is that a pastor is to be able to teach the word, as we're talking about, handle the word. Whereas deacons don't have to be apt to teach. Many are. I did my dissertation on Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He was one of the first seven deacons. Boy, he preached with power. Great sermon. Had a real impact on him. People were so excited by what he said that they were gnashing their teeth. And they stoned him. I had a dream that one of my grandchildren, last name of this family is Stone. And their one son has the name Stephen. In my dream, I was going to have Stevie Stone, my grandson, read Acts 7 for the church. Crazy, man, crazy. But the idea that we have in this listing here is that uh, it's a full-orbed kind of a thing. And all of us should be developing many of these qualities in our lives. It's not for those guys over there, and I'm just not that way. We want to be all that we can be. The whole book of Titus is full of credentials or qualities that people, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, qualities that they are to have. We're not talking about abstractions all the time. Concrete things for us to have in our lives as we serve and grow in the faith as a family for the Lord Jesus. May God help us to be faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these people who are here. I pray that you might bless this church for your glory. Thank you for its history, for its heritage. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with us here today, that we might be all that we can be. We're not vague and just not committed. We are fully committed to you and to your way. And we are interested in uh, the, the teaching of your word. This, this is important stuff. Give us the right disposition as we move forward. Bless these folks. Pray that you'll bring the right person in soon. Encourage them through thick and thin. Pray, Father, for any who are unsaved, that they would see that the gospel, the good news, is that there is hope as we come to the end of our lives. There's more to it. We have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, believeth in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.